influences. So I'm, I'm interested in looking at um, the influences of Thai food and um, how come, and I've noticed this because I discovered Thai food coming from England, eating here, funny enough, and I knew so little about Thai food, I wasn't sure if I was meant to eat the caterpillar on the plate or not. Yeah. I was brought here by some people from Saatchi and Saatchi. Right, right, right. And, um, but, you know, I discovered it and I, I got to know what Thai food was about and then I used to sort of go to practices for takeaways and, you know, mm. I, I think I learned a little bit about Thai food. And, and then, of course, in Melbourne and when you go to other places, you suddenly find that it's all that um, fairly bland sort of green stuff, green curry. Which a good green curry ain't. Yeah, exactly. And um, I was wondering why Sydney ciders, um, why is it that Sydney ciders had the palate to be able to accept that good Thai food? And there are probably several things there. Some people have said there's there was a someone who started supplying Thai ingredients. Yeah, I mean, point to, I mean, there's a combination mm. of several things. Yeah, uh, it's the a big a bigger Thai community here than yeah. in, in Victoria. Uh, more access to fresher ingredients. More restaurants here initially that they and uh, combined with the demand from the resident Thais, that mm. meant that suppliers could come in and find a large enough market to supply, okay. to allow for effective and consistent yeah. supply. Yeah. So they could then approach farmers and ask them to grow, knowing that they would be able to sell. Yeah. Uh, and also, I think Sydney is a more Asian city than Melbourne. Yeah. In yeah. its approach to food, certainly in the 80s and 90s when I was cooking here. Uh, it was it, that, that was the bent mm. the predilection of most cooks mm. to actually dabble in Asian food. Neil mm. was doing his stuff at Rock Food. Yeah. Uh, Chris Mantle was doing her stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, most cooks had some Asian influence. It was Sydney was in the thrall of Asia, whereas mm. Melbourne was in the shadow of Europe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that was that then that was a decided and notable difference that I recall that uh, meant that you know Melbourne food developed very much on European lines. Yeah, and it's beginning to change, but then so too is Sydney, where Sydney has gone from being Asian in, mm. in inclination to looking at Europe too, and vice versa in good old Melbourne. Mm, mm. Um, just as like, there's always been that that crazy dance between the two cities yeah sometimes a waltz yeah. sometimes a tango sometimes a throttle uh what, but whatever it is the two cities work in tandem with each yeah, other sort of um melbourne has caught up a bit with them days are the ginger boy or you know melbourne i think is probably possibly stronger on vietnamese food than sydney true um, yeah. but, but and for the same reasons that sydney is stronger on thai yeah. food because there's a bigger resident community yeah. there yeah uh, I can't be 100% sure on that one, mm. only because it, I haven't been in the country for long enough mm. for long enough periods of time for the last eight or nine years, so I'm very much out of touch. Yeah, yeah. We'll be interested to see what Andrea again thinks when she goes down to. Mm. She's been to Cabramatta. She's coming down to Melbourne right. on Wednesday. So. Right. Well, I mean, I I often get disappointed. Going, I haven't been to Cab for a while, but I'm mm. disappointed. Sorry, yeah. I'm a bit disappointed about going down to Chinatown in Sydney where I thought it was a, there was a lot of stuff down there yeah. and there ain't. Really? Yeah. No, I saw a little bit of Bai Dam Luang, some dodgy Thai basil, some wilted holy basil, but mind you, it was a Saturday afternoon. Okay, yeah. And, and maybe I missed the days in which it came in on. Yeah. But I remember when I was living here, there was a far greater diversity, but then maybe I knew when to go 
mm. which places to go. Yeah. Knew where to go, I thought, this time, yeah. but not as much. Yeah. I think cab might hold, hold some pleasures, but mm. I don't need to score any smack at the moment, so I think I might <laughs> wait for a while. <laughs> exactly. So, and, so, and for us in London, yeah. we're very lucky because we import our own stuff, and so yeah. we get a whole range yeah, of okay. items in mm. that's fresh from the markets of Bangkok, and it takes you know, from door to door about 24 hours. Yeah. And so we're, we're, we're spoiled. Yeah, that's the difference in Europe, isn't it? You just import whatever well, you want. Indeed, and, and since everything has to be imported into the UK anyway, yeah, uh, it, it, it we're able to do it without it being a burden to us financially, because mm. we, we would have to do it anyway. Yeah. But we're able to get a much greater variety. Everything's been through the UK from the Black Death onwards, so there's mm. no quarantine restrictions as yeah. there are here. Yeah. And yeah. you know, surprisingly, Ed, I managed to bring in with me spices, curry paste, curry powder, several other ingredients there, really? and we were just waved straight through. Weren't arrested? Wow. No, I wish, you know, having, <laughs> with, with what the schedule that's in front of me, I wish I had been. It would have been a perfect excuse. <laughs> so when was, what was your discovery of Thai food? When, 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 when did you start, sort of, and, and how did oh, that... 1986, and, and really. and oh, 1986. Oh, no, before then. I, my first, my first, I still remember my first meal. Mm. I'm going to grab that waiter's attention to see whether I can get another coffee too, because I can't operate without having 17 coffees, hence the reason why I didn't sleep last night. But <laughs> the first time I went, to, the first time I had Thai food was in 1978, I think. I was young and fresh and green. Yeah. yeah. I live a little austere lifestyle where I'm happy with water. Oh dear. Anything in Key and Bacass. So. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm looking forward to going to the Key, I've got to say. We're mm. going to the Key and Bodega as well. And you must tell me where I should be eating in Melbourne. Attica for sure. Attica, and Ben is, I think Ben is possibly the best food in Australia. And what about the Royal balance. Mail? Yeah, the Royal Mail is great, and, I, and I've been there many times. I find, I think a lot of Australians find the food too supple because you've got a lot of baby vegetables on a plate. And the difference between what Dan does and what Ben does is I think Ben knows how to concentrate and get the flavour in more. So it's beautiful. Well, beautiful. One presented. of the big problems I find with cooking mm. now, and it's always been a problem I've noticed with cooks, is that they don't eat their food or rather they forget what mm. it's like to dine. Yeah. And so the food becomes an intellectual conceit mm. yeah. and you develop it and you refine it and you, you become intellectually delighted by, by the production mm. and you already know what you're tasting for and so you can seek it out and you can find yeah. it more readily than, than the, the... Than your normal bloke. Than your normal bloke. Who smokes bloke, and drinks a lot. Who smokes and drinks and has had his third double espresso for the day. And he's on his 15, 18% alcohol red wine. Indeed, indeed, indeed. And, but also has had several other dishes in front of it. Yeah. And it's not just going for that tradition, that one di or that mm. one taste alone. Mm. Tasting it sing singularly, removed mm. from the context yeah. of the meal. And of course, Mascox Ben did a starch for you, didn't he? He did. He was so at, um, at uh, Nile for a little while. Because of every single, because of that, every single review ever since, apart from me, because I try and correct it the whole time, mm. say he's got Thai influences. And of course, he knows about Thai, yeah. but there isn't Thai influences no. in any of his food now. Not. I don't believe he smokes spud his Thai. <laughs> Look, the stuff I had recently, I took a, a, a friend who's just, you know, she went to Cutler and Co and goes, this has been very fashionable in San Francisco yes. 15 years ago, mm. and found it both under and over season. Mm. But she almost found perfection in what Ben delivered in terms Excellent. You see, Australia's a strange little beast. 
Yeah, yeah, elements where it's so far in advance, and other mm. other parts where it is not. Absolutely, you know, yeah. Just, but they're, not, they're the same in the UK as well, and I, yeah. I guess in the US too. That idea of one country leading another, or indeed one mm. city leading another, is just specious, and in fact, something yeah. that people from the fifth estate yeah. create. Well, us, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, whereas you'll find that there are pockets of things that are au fait with the rest of the world, in fact, in front. Yeah. Whereas there are others that, that aren't. Mm. And then the other thing is, when I look at it, sometimes it's better that it's not, because sometimes if you have a perfectly bit of grilled fish. Mm. And that was my um, treat, I think, being at Rockport, because I'm, I'm not massively into huge hunks of steak, mm. and I wasn't that impressed with what I tasted, mm. but because of what I've been eating, just to have that beautiful, beautiful Simple. piece of fish. You know, I, I like Neil, and I also, we have a lot in common. Mm. Not a ponytail, of course, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, both of us went to, not together, but went to Farad's place and we were both disturbed. Yeah. Mm. Profoundly, as profoundly as a cook can be philosophically, mm. which means he was scratching his head. <laughs> yeah. in, in that, the, 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 erratic, the, the processes and techniques, because they're beyond techniques, they're processes yeah. that are employed in that cooking transform so radically that it expunges and expels the soul and substance of the food to my, mm. to my, to my sensibilities. Yeah. And that disturbs me profoundly. And I've it disturbed me yeah, profoundly. I can imagine Other cooks are excited by it and they think yeah. it's, it's, it's alchemy and that it's magical and that, that such transfigurations is, is, it can only be considered divine. Mm. Me, I think it's the hand of Satan. Yeah, I, I haven't eaten there, but mm. I have eaten at Verge in Melbourne where they use too much foam and sparified olives with lamb oh, and it's revolting. Oh, me. I mean, just no, you, just one place to avoid, actually. We, yeah, we just were at Adrian's and, I, you know, it's nice. There's some really interesting ideas. But, you know, five out of, <coughs> seven out of, no, nine out of the 40, 30, 35 or 40 dishes that yeah. we had, because they just trickled through, were spherified or reverse spherified. Yeah. It's like, oh God, I want to chew something. Well, I've still got my teeth. I still want to mm. chew. I want texture. Yeah. Um, there was no question about the quality of the ingredients. The yeah. service was impeccable. Everything else yeah. was fine. And, you know, it's just the style or the philosophy yeah, I that I, 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 I have a problem with. Just want a green vegetable. I want a vegetable to be oh, yeah. a vegetable, and you know I quite agree that, that there are some techniques that can be used. Mm. And you know we started off, and I still remember the first dish, which was the olives that have been reverse verified and had yeah. a, 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 like a liquid in the skin. And I've had and some of those, and some of them are quite beautiful to have yeah. it when they burst. And, and, once. I and I tasted, it and it was like that's that's clever. I mm. can see how that works. I like it. Yeah. And I was because I I went there uh, with prejudice. Mm. But I was prepared to go there with an open palate. Mm. Because philosophically, I, I mm. shudder at the thought. And then, uh, but then, you know, dish after dish replicated that very same thing. And it's yeah. like, oh, God. And actually, Neil's point on the um, sous vide was interesting. Yes, it was. And I think um, that might get a few chefs up in arms, but I think he's quite right. I think it, mm. sous vide does have some very good points. Yeah. And, when, and when it's used and employed yeah. correctly, with due consideration and, and correct taste, with knowing what the result will mm. bring, then yeah. that's good. For, Whereas, me for me, it's the expectations. Like when someone cooks duck, mm. you expect it to be moist and falling apart with fat mm. and crispy skin. Or, 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 pork. or smoky, or, or yeah. listed. And I think Neil's got that When you get a moist pink little thing, it's 
disappointing. Uh, and it's also like you know low temperature cooking as well I think some of it can be very good but I think mm. when you do it with chicken or with meat it never actually reaches the temperature where the protein actually congeals or coagulates yeah. and forms texture and with, with meat with chicken as well often the blood doesn't change color so and people, it's can just raw. people can just raw yeah. and, so, and that's it that's the problem with the cook's conceit where yeah. they can see intellectually that's a great yeah. process but look what I've done it's fantastic and all the cook person sees is a bloody raw chook yeah. and, and it's not so so what I do, I'm lucky I can see all that and what's yeah. going on, and I try and consume, you know, tell people that the chicken isn't raw, but they don't care, do they? Yeah, they, no, just their perception. no, and what I don't like about it is when mm. when it's got that gammy texture, mm. uh, and because it's chicken in particular, there's a certain yeah. temperature that it must pass mm. in order for it to develop a yeah. texture that is toothsome and agreeable yeah. to the primitive palate yeah and yeah. that's what we're playing with here because the mind might think one thing but the palate and satisfaction is something a little bit more primal yeah. and something that can't be trained you know taste mm. disgust uh, uh, and deliciousness are mm. something that are subconscious and yes you can hone you can train slightly mm. but something that's disgusting it's very hard to overcome yeah it's like salmon isn't there mm. nothing better than a piece of salmon mm. crisp skin cooked in oil mm. you know yeah. And that, that was the point of view. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so in Thai, you, you discovered Thai, and you sort of, in when, when, when you went and you first you, you, you went you went over there and you had this. Well, you know, the, my first experience was in the Siam restaurant in Kurlua Street in Bondi, which was one of the first Thai restaurants in Sydney at the time, 1978. Young, fresh, and green. I had a fish cake. I hated it. Yeah. I had lemongrass. I didn't like it. And then I started to play around with a woman called Jennifer Brennan's cookbook. I still have it. And it's still a, you know, a, a fun read. Not necessarily terribly authentic recipes, but they couldn't be because it was geared to the American market in the 1980s when you know, yeah. stuff wasn't available. So she, she was a responsible cook yeah. rather than one like me that's insistent and demanding. Mm. Uh, and she um, you know, did recipes that were possible to do on the west coast of the US at mm. that time. However, some of her stories and some of her descriptions were mesmerizing. And I remember reading it as I went to, went to Bangkok. Went to Bangkok in the 1986. I loved the place. Seduced by the country, mm. the, the culture. I loved the edginess of it because then it was a far more mm. city still yet to be developed to, to have developed into the metropolis as it, as, it, mm. as it has now become and I wanted to live on that edge that that dangerous edge that but that charming edge too because the ties have a agreeable charm about they do them. don't they yeah uh, and uh, I moved there in 1988 mm. stayed there until 1991 I think um, came back to Sydney, opened a restaurant. But during the time I was living in Thailand, I, I met Tanonsek, my partner, the one mm. that said what was I going to do with my, my jacket. Where was I? You said you, you met your partner and... We met the partner, met and through him met this old woman who cooked the most delicious mm. food in, a, in the back of an old house that could only be said to be suburban, mm. but she cooked with a skill that was beyond suburbia, um, that was world class. 
and it was the first inkling I had of how good Thai food could be and I still remember the dish that she cooked which was uh, a deep a sour orange curry over deep fried fish with mm. lots of young small dried chilies tossed in there with vicious abandon. And it, was, it, it just made me realise that there was something much more mm. than the dodgy fish cakes yeah. uh, and the disagreeable lemongrass that I had had uh, at Kalua Street a decade mm. before. And uh, I went to her place every day to try to suck the old bitty dry for as much information mm. as I could. And it, it was then that I started to become really interested in the possibilities of Thai food. Not knowing, of course, what it would lead to. Who knows what, mm. you know, when you start things off, you know, you're old enough to know that now when you start things off, yeah. you never expect that it's going to end up where it does. No, you don't. You don't know where it's no, going to go. No, no. Yeah. And I, to me, it was an aside, an interest, because I was still cooking Western food at that stage. Yeah. And then we came back to Australia a few times in the 1990s. And there were a few restaurants that were starting to open up. Mm. There was one in particular called Thai Patong with a chef called, I forget his name, who has gone back to Thailand now, but he, he was cooking some, the first one of doing something outside of the box, or rather yeah. outside of a can. Yeah. And he was making a difference, and people were thinking it's great food. And then we opened a restaurant, you know, that's when I thought, well, Darling Street. Yeah, in, in Newtown, and that's when I thought, well, why don't we just do what we do with Western food, but with Thai food? Mm. And that is just try and get fresh ingredients to do it ourselves. Was that 91 you opened Darling Street? 92, 92. I think. 91, 91? I know. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, and then we, then that's, that was the whole idea. It mm. was just simply cooking as other Australian cooks were doing at yeah. that stage, doing everything themselves and doing it with the best ingredients that they could possibly acquire from yeah. Because I'm, I'm just wondering when you, because you started that up and you started cooking that way mm. and, and you, you came back with that background from Thailand, I'm wondering if you helped educate the sort of the white Australian person's palate to Thai food who'd been... Might, who, who, who might have had something to do with it. Yeah. I, mean, I suppose I did because I was one of the... I mean, anybody who's been as involved with it or for as long as I have must have had some impact somewhere yeah. along the line, if only as a sobering example of yeah. what to do. Because I've only just noticed now that there's some good ones starting in Melbourne and you see Thai writing in the front window. And the other day, I was, I mean, I was borrowing... I'm, I'm homeless at the moment, I just left my wife, but I'm borrowing a friend's warehouse in Collingwood and I went down to this place on a Monday night. There must have been 50 Thai people in this restaurant on whatever street it is eating and eating mm. his Thai food, yeah, it's great. Well, I mean, you say, you're, look, give it to me hot like you give it to a Thai person, they do, and it's wonderful. Well, that's good, it's refreshing, because one of the big problems with Thai is in Thai restaurants, and it's their biggest failing, Yeah. is that they're too polite. They're too polite, yeah. They are too polite. They cater to what they believe their guests will want, and so they will curtail the extreme extremes mm. of flavour and seasonings mm. that they themselves so like. Yeah. They dull it down, they dumb it down, and they make it more acceptable. And mm. the Westerner actually believes that's what they, what they, what they have. This is also the problem in Bangkok as well, isn't it? With that's a lot of the restaurants. So. Oh, in restaurants, on but not on the streets. Yeah, in the street. Not on the streets as such. Yeah. Sorry, I just need to take this word. That's second. okay, don't worry. Hi, Emma, how are you? Hello, Emma. Yep. Hello. Good, I'm just in. Um, where was I? Just the um, the dumbing down. They, I mean, in, the, in restaurants they dumb down, but not the, in the. Um, because only because most restaurants. One of the ironies of Bangkok, one of the 
paradoxes of Bangkok is it has an enormous food culture mm. and yet it's not a restaurant culture. You don't find very good food often in restaurants. You'll find them on the streets and in the markets and in homes, yeah. but not, on, not in restaurants as such. That is beginning to change. Yeah. It is slow, slowly beginning to change as Thais jump over the hurdle of their culinary cringe and realise that their food is better than just being in the market. Mm. Uh, and the problem is that most Thais won't pay for all the necessary increases of cost that are attended mm. to operating a proper restaurant. Mm. They won't do so when they can eat on the streets or in their own homes. Yeah. But they will do so for Italian food or French food. It's, yeah. it's one of those damn, damned uh, difficult ironies. And I was out with Anne last night from um, Singapore, I think you know, Chubby yes. Hubby, and you're saying that one of your projects is open Bolo. a place Bo mm. Yeah, which is sort of changing things a bit. Yes, I think so, and, it, and good for them too. Uh, Dylan and Bo, I think, are doing a great job. They started off a little bit nervously and a little bit dodgily to begin with, but then any restaurant does do that. Mm. Um, and it's a real dream operation for two kids in their first go. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great thing. And you know, they started off a little bit uncertainly, but now I've eaten there several times, and now it's pretty good food. Mm. It's pretty good food. Um, I didn't go there this time, I was in Bangkok last week mm. on my way over here. Didn't have the chance to go in, but I did see them for a yeah. moment or two. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're going well. They're very thin and very hard worked. Right. Most chefs are, aren't they? I know, mostly. Uh, some are a bit podgy. <laughs> and um, why would you could live here? Do you choose to live in London? Well, having been born in Sydney, uh, okay. Why do you choose to live here rather than in London? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know where I'm choosing to live at the moment. Oh, yeah, that's right, you're tossed out, that's right. <laughs> well, actually, ultimately, we will live in Bangkok next year. We're intending yeah. to do, actually open a restaurant there okay. in Bangkok. And uh, we'll probably spend a majority of our year in, in Bangkok mm. next year and then do five or six months in London. Mm. And that's about, that's about it, really. We won't be coming back to Sydney that often. Yeah. You still you still own Sable Time? No, I relinquished my shares about four or five years ago, okay. amicably, because yeah. simply I wasn't coming back often yeah. enough to justify. And it was moving in a slightly different way than I would have done had I been here. Mm. But I also realised I had no right to interfere in what they were doing when they were yeah. here every day, and I was not. True. And so, rather than having that 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 uncertainty, mm. or rather that disagreement, we both decided to say, well, look. It's just called it a day. And so it was done very amicably, and that's why I can come back uh, all the time and just do things with them because, you know, we've, we've got good friendship. Yeah. Will you do the same with Nav? Uh, I, I'm a consultant there okay. rather than an owner. And so uh, I'll keep it on for quite a few, mm. for another year or two. There's a few other things that, that are on the drawing board. Mm. I reckon we'll keep it on for another three or four years maybe, okay. maybe, yeah. maybe yeah. not too much longer because 13 years is a bloody long time for a yeah, restaurant. it is isn't it? Mm. I mean it's now been going since 2001 mm. so what's that that's nine years yeah yeah it's a bloody long time. eight nine years yeah yeah uh, Matthew who's effectively running it mm. uh, he's getting tired mm. If not of me, then of, of, of London. <laughs> you see, one reason why I do like London is I don't spend all, all the year there. Mm. Whereas if I did, I'd be well, like, I'd, it, I'd yeah. be like the Poms. Yeah. Mm. On Thai food, like we were talking about the Szechuan food in the presentation with um, Yubo yesterday. Mm. 
and how we you know, sort of showed us the diversity. Thai food must be like that. Everyone assumes Thai food is just sort of fish sauce, heats and sweets. No, it, 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 it has... Depending where you are, near, whether you're near the Cambodian border or... It's, it, there's huge regional variations, but also it ain't just about course and mm. uh, simplicity, mm. seasoning alone. It's a suave elegance that mm. That means there is a, a certain sequence of seasonings that dance, that waltz, that mm. swim, that swirl graciously and happily upon the palate, not mm. unlike the Thais do when they, they welcome their guests. Mm. Um, the Thais believe, that one of the hallmarks of their culture is a gracious movement. They believe that's far more important than anything else. They don't believe in monuments because being Buddhist they don't believe anything lasts anywhere. Mm. So they would rather have something done effectively in the moment, in this moment, and that is a gracious word or an elegant movement. And that translates or is transposed upon the palate as, some, as a deft bit of seasoning. Uh, and that doesn't mean raw heat, rank heat, mm. or, or piercing saltiness, or puckering sourness, mm. but an elegant balance of all of those things combined with the flavour of an enormous array of fresh ingredients, mm. some of which you can get here, some of which you can't. Uh, and it's, you know, I've always drawn the, the, the comparison that cooking Western food is like playing drafts, whereas cooking Thai food is like playing chess. Okay. I reckon Szechuan food is like chess too. Probably. I think it's that array of the freshness of ingredients in Thai, it's so appealing, isn't it? You get that, it it's is. like Vietnamese too, when you get those fresh herbs oh. and all those things coming through. Correct. Really you've got lovely. all of that. You've also got lots of carving that goes on. I don't waste mm. my time. I think life is too short for carving. Mm. But I was struck yesterday when looking at Yubo's uh, carving that the ties are just as finicky as that. Mm. And maybe they may well have picked up a lot of their cutting things from them because they originally came down from Yunnan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, but they did go through a rough patch that is a rustic patch as they went over the Laotian mountains and mm. down into the central plains. So mm. maybe they can carry the, that kind really? technique with yeah. them. But yeah. they certainly carried some things with them. Have you, have you examined um, Cambodian cuisine much? Not terribly much. My area of expertise and really that much. You know, I've got to confess, I haven't been into Cambodia. Haven't you? Yeah. I went to the Hotel de la Paix, where uh, a young French chef was doing this amazing uh, degustation with the local sort of yes. ingredients, all sorts of things I don't know the name of. And it was just so wonderful. And someone explained it to me, who lived out in Phnom Penh, that the difference between Thai and Cambodian is that in Thai you might have that balance all in one dish. Mm. In Cambodian it went through the whole meal. I think Thais have the balance for not only in one dish, but also in the construction of the meal too. Yeah, okay. The Thais would say, that Cambodian food is uh, subsidiary to Thais. Um, the, the Cambodians will probably say their food is older, mm. but in fact it's a little bit like Sydney and Melbourne, the two danced with each other for so long, who knows which cult came well, first. You know, the, the yeah. Thais actually picked up some of their eating habits or their mm. through uh, from the Cambodians from when they sacked Angkor in the, the yeah. hundreds, and that's when food began to there would be several dishes that were probably served regularly. Mm. They picked up a lot of language. They may well have picked up some picked up some cooking techniques too, mm. but then they siamized it. Yeah.
uh, in Cambodia went through a really sad decline from 1400 up until well it's had a sad history ever since really yeah. and that, that that can be that can play havoc on a cuisine yeah and so the Thai is considered a little bit of a culinary backwater because it's always mm. been tossed between the two great kingdoms of Southeast Asia the Vietnamese mm. and the, the Thais mm. um, there's probably some decent stuff there but I don't know I was up in mm. Laos recently and that is another culinary fringe driller well it is isn't it? yeah um, some of the food up there is yeah I was um very disappointed by Lang Prabang. it was like Noosa with Buddhists uh, yeah no it was more like a film set yeah I <laughs> and agree, um, agree. I, but I enjoyed the plane of jars because of the edginess yeah. I have and we went we drove up uh, and I really liked driving up through some of the mountains and stuff yeah. like that which was great we went to Luang Prabang we didn't have that much time it was like being on a film set mm. there was more Swedish pizzas than anything else that was there <laughs> yes. we did at the last night I found one place that sold a Geng, geng um, uh, Lao uh, Lam, Lam, I think it's called in, 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 in Lao. Noatian mm. and Thai are very close to each other. It's like the sort of minced. No, it's not Lao, yeah. it's like a curry and it had Sichuan peppercorns and grilled chili in it with pork okay. skin, with buffalo skin and, mm. and buffalo meat. And it was absolutely delicious. And mm. it was my first taste of something that was actually acceptable. Everything mm. else was shit. Yeah. Um, but I think. One of the thing, one of the one of my dictums now is wherever there are tourists, you're gonna have bad food in yeah, Southeast it's Asia. True. It's certainly true. And it's so true. Uh, there, amongst the Swedish pizzas and croissants and the very expensive coffee in the mm. rather beautiful village of the tourist area of Old Luang Prabang, mm. which is geared only for tourists, and you see very few now, mm. uh, you're not gonna eat well. And we didn't. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Ruby, that's been brilliant. Um, yeah. Great, 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 great. I'm going to get in. I'm going to get out.